0: Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Los Angeles, California, Al Marino on the phone. Al is a former Los Angeles police department, police officer. He's also the owner of Global Investigations and VIP Security Services, and he is an author. He wrote a book called L.A.'s Last Street Cop, Surviving Hollywood Freaks, the Aryan Brotherhood, and the LAPD's Homicidal Vendetta Against Me. Al, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated.
1: It's uh, wonderful to be on your show, and thank you.
0: You've been a busy guy. Before we get into details uh, of your career and there's a lot of things to talk about, tell people about your book where they can get more information where they can buy it etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: well it's on amazon and just uh click on you know the title la's last street cop and you know the information will come up and you can go ahead and order it from there
0: excellent so do a google search for i i found it easier just to, to type in la's last street cop and it pops up on google uh you find it that way uh, what is the book about it's about your career obviously
1: Correct. It, uh, it's about uh, a story of a kid raised in the hood. In my case, it was in uh, south-central Los Angeles and that bordered Watts. And um, we were raised in a, uh, in a home under 800 square feet with 11 kids. We were the poorest, you know, family on the block. When I went to school... I had both an undiagnosed case of dyslexia and dyscalculia, which is a neuro- neurological problem where you have problems reading and ciphering uh, out, you know, arithmetic or math. And to add insult to injury, I also, from the second to sixth grade, was diagnosed with a very rare disease called Lake Ellis So for two and a half years, I was on crutches in a sling, and another two years, I was on a like a fourth Gump type brace on my left foot and an elevator shoe, and I was a DNF student all through school, so it wasn't a whole lot of fun. When I say all through school, I'm talking about grade school and, uh, and high school. So on my, in the 12th grade, I got kind of just you know fed up with it, what was the point, so I dropped out of school, and then I got uh, in trouble with the law three separate times. I was arrested. After the arrest, at the height of the Vietnam War, I joined the Marine Corps and went to Vietnam, was with the India Company, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, as a radio man and fire team leader. After my service in Vietnam, I came home and uh, applied for the Los Angeles Police Department. And uh, it took me five years to get on from 1970 to 75. I was disqualified nine separate times, all for erroneous medical uh, you know uh, reasons. Anyhow, I fought them, and I got on in 1975. Once I got on, then I just came into my own. I was just born to be a cop, and straight away I excelled in every one of my assignments. And uh, and then in 1978, I was one of 40 officers from the entire department picked to work LAPD's first ever gang suppression unit called Operation Central Bureau Crash. We worked five of the 18 geographical areas that were mostly plagued with gang murders, and that would be South Central Los Angeles and East L.A. I, uh, again, excelled in my unit, and at the five-and-a-half-year juncture, had accumulated over 71 commendations, most of them for disarming gang members without using lethal force. And at one point, the uh, unit commander started cooking the books because the stats were just absolutely going crazy as to the number of gang-related crimes. So he was catching Mm -hmm. from his bosses, and uh, then he started uh, basically restructuring what constituted a gang-related crime and what have you. And it got so bad that half the unit just bailed out. It was just, you know, the, the the lack of integrity was just awful. Well, I'm kind of stubborn. I stayed. I fought it. And so he transfers me out of the unit. I grieve him. I get back onto the unit and calls me in his office and basically says that, you know, I'm done. So I went before the board of, uh, I went to the uh, bureau commander and, uh, because I was, I needed some kind of backup. And I told him what was going on in the unit. And he said, okay, Al, we knew what was going on, but nobody would have the, reproductive organs enough to come up and tell us, is there anybody that will support your, you know, your allegations? And I says, well, we have four supervisors. And two of them came forward, and they threw their careers under the bus because they backed me up. So the commander looked at the um, allegations and was going to, uh, there was word out that there was going to be a board of inquiring heads who were going to roll. And just at that time, I was working homicide, I got Beeped on a uh, beeped up on a, on a weekend. It was a drive-by murder, and um, one of the new guys came up. We couldn't find my partner to work with me. Anyhow, we arrested one of the three shooters that cut a six-year-old kid in half with a sawed-off shotgun. And while I was interviewing him, I pushed guess pushed him against the wall, playing the good guy, bad guy routine. And the new guy that had come into the unit basically said that I had uh, physically assaulted that arrestee under color of authority and that he was going to the old man with it, which was my boss. And two weeks later, I went water skiing to the Colorado River with a bunch of cops and stewards and nurses and just kind of letting our hair down. And we walked into a bar unbeknownst to us, it was a hangout for the Aryan Brotherhood, one of the three major prison gangs in, in the United States. So uh, we said, you know, we better get th- here and as we were leaving this one guy came up grabbed me his name was aka the skull crusher that had just been paroled from prison for cutting his wife's hand off with an axe the fight was on and uh, after the fight uh, he came at us with a sawed-off shotgun we managed somehow to get get away and uh without getting murdered so the lieutenant got these two allegations that I that I'm talking about the off-duty fight, push of the gang member, and uh, ordered a uh, internal affairs investigation. And uh, at the time, he was looking at a board of inquiry. So this was a perfect avenue for them to get rid of me. So they got internal affairs involved, and uh, they, you know, they uh, skewed the investigation. And the board of rights was equally as dirty. And I was, I'm sorry, uh, prior to getting. Fired uh, one of the, during the investigation, two of the IED investigators uh, interviewed the ex convict at his home in Ontario, California, and he told them that he had found out through Emma the unit that I was working and that he was going to kill me. So that's, you know, that fell within the, the preview of attempted murder. They didn't, they didn't arrest him, they just let him go.
0: That's so, crazy, right there. They just they just let this guy go, and he had pulled a full fledged attempted murder on you and your 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 buddies.
1: Well, yeah, well, principally myself. But what is extraordinary about this, Jay, is that when he told them to their face that he was going to murder me, he already sat, he satisfied the the basically the statute for attempted murder, which means is that you take an overt act in the commission of killing somebody and, and astonishingly they didn't they didn't take him into custody well
0: wow. we're gonna take a short break we are talking with al marino former lapd he's got a lot to tell you this is law enforcement Day show don't go anywhere we'll be right back all too often we find ourselves getting asked where can i find other great podcasts do you have any suggestions Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about law enforcement today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Al Marino. Al is a former Los Angeles police department police officer. He's also the author of the book, LA's Last Street Cop, Surviving Hollywood Freaks, the Aryan Brotherhood, and the LAPD's Homicidal Vendetta Against Me. Al, before we went to break, you're talking about... This guy who's part of the Aryan Brotherhood, well-known, huge prison gang nationwide that basically tried to kill you. And somehow an internal affairs investigation was launched against you because of this and another incident. Take us from what what happened from there.
1: Well, after the internal affairs investigators uh, interviewed him because of the off-duty fight at the Colorado River, like I said, part of their interview was uh, basically to, you know, find out what happened. But this ex-con was on parole, so he started obviously, you know, uh, telling them lies and saying uh, that I had struck him, uh, you know, and it wasn't warranted and what have you. But anyhow, to make a long story short, they, they got what they needed because they were directed by, you know, their bosses in internal affairs to find out what happened. But what is extraordinary about it is that once the ex-con told them that he had gotten their uh, their buddies, which is La M, which is the Mexican mafia, to find out where I was working so that he could kill me. And I, I sound, it sounds extraordinary, And if I didn't have the documents from IAD. You know, I couldn't blame anybody if they didn't believe it.
0: But, it's, it's not that far-fetched. People that, that have—I've had death threats against me that came through the Baltimore City Jail and supposedly contract hit and everything else— and. For the outsider who's not in law enforcement, it sounds bizarre, and and I'll admit, for some people that work in law enforcement, it sounds crazy. But for me, you tell me this, it doesn't sound bizarre at all. What what strikes me as odd is how does the Mexican mafia get involved in this, and uh, basically contract this guy?
1: Well, the, the it's it's a well known fact. I worked gangs for four years, and I was you know I'm a court tested expert for court as a gang expert. And of the three major uh, uh, godfathers in the prison system throughout the United States, you have EME, Eme, which is the Mexican Mafia, controls all the Latin gangs in all of the U.S. Then you have the Aryan Brotherhood that basically controls all the skinheads. And then you have the black guerrilla family that controls all the black gangs. So the Mexican Mafia and the Aryan Brotherhood, they kind of have each other's back. And they help each other in their, uh, you know, in this sort of malfeasance in the, what they do. And so the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, this prison gang member or ex-con, uh, the guy that I got in a fight with the Colorado River, asked them to see if they had some sources they could find out where I worked. And they found out that I was working gangs. They told the Aryan Brotherhood gotcha. and uh, this Aryan Brotherhood gang member, and the hit was on. So the department, instead of doing what they normally do under an extraordinary circumstance like that, is where they would automatically get our metropolitan division to basically watch me 24/7 and that and my family as well. Then they would get robbery homicide division to initiate a uh, investigation, uh, get a wiretap, and once he was ready to do what he's going to do. They would have the guys from our specialized, another specialized unit called SIS, follow this guy 24-7 and take him into custody. They did nothing, zero, which is just absolutely shocking.
0: Would it be safe to say that, I don't know what vernacular they use in Los Angeles, but in Baltimore you had people who were the golden boys or the golden child, and then you had uh, the troublemakers, and then we had... We call them real police and, and the real police weren't brown nosers. They didn't do any of that stuff, but they're oftentimes in trouble with the administration and they weren't because they were doing bad stuff. It wasn't because they're criminals, none of that stuff. It just, they weren't going to tow the, the political line and they often found themselves in trouble. Would that be a fair description of how you were?
1: Uh, you nailed it, Jay. That's exactly what happened prior to the, uh, so I call it the Colorado, Colorado River incident with the Aryan Brotherhood off duty fight that we had, and then pushing that, uh, that gang member after he had cut a 14 year old kid in half with a sawed off shotgun. The l- lieutenant was catching from City Hall, the mayor's office, and upper management because the statistics were going completely crazy. Uh, and what i What I mean by that is that uh the number of gang related crimes in the city were just absolutely going crazy. the uh city of Los Angeles is acknowledged as the gang capital of the world oh yeah, so they get what the department does is that they got forty they had picked forty super cops from the entire unit to work the and 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 to you know create a gang suppression unit. But the the math wasn't right at the jump. I mean, you have over four hundred and fifty gang mem- uh, gang gangs in Los Angeles, with anywhere from sixty to seventy thousand gang members. So you got forty super cops versus four divisions of gangs. It it just I mean, we were doing a terrific job, but uh, so the lieutenant starts cooking the books, rewriting the structure of what constituted a gang-related crime, and that's where I. I just couldn't stand it anymore, the lack of integrity. And that's when I went to the bureau commander, kind of like a serpental thing. You know, you yeah. roll over the, the, the department for doing something that is just shocking. And, uh, and I paid for
0: it with my job. And that's, unfortunately, that happens. That happens far more often than people realize. And before someone gets the wrong impression uh, and they think of like you mentioned Serpico or Prince's City or, or some of the things. In my police career, I never encountered a dirty cop. And when they made themselves known, they were arrested or, or fired. What happened far more often was you had cops who were doing a good job that were doing their job, got in trouble doing their job because they're dealing with the hardest core criminals out there. And if they didn't tow the party line, they wound up Butting heads with the admin, or we call them uh, you know, the gold brim hat guys. And oftentimes they were shuttled off to lousy assignments. They were transferred out of great divisions, great departments, great units that they worked hard to get into, uh, or, or were fired.
1: Well, you know, listening to you, it just. It's just uh, abundantly obvious that you know exactly, you know how the system has worked, uh, and and again, evidently, it just isn't in Baltimore. I mean, I guess it's through all the major cities. If you get a hardworking cop with a with a pure heart about putting his life out the line, you know, twenty four seven for his community then you you see some malfeasance in the job and it just doesn't resonate with you because that's not the way law enforcement is supposed to be so you know you you stick your neck out uh you 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 report the malfeasance and uh you know rains down on you yeah, so it's we're, done all over the all over the all over the u.s
0: it sure is and los angeles is is kind of a bellwether city you mentioned earlier it's the home of all the gangs and they have their control over gangs throughout the united states hey folks when you have a chance check out our facebook page do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show when you get there click like and follow we're talking with Al Marino, former Los Angeles Police Department police officer, and more. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We all know that law enforcement, first responders, and military have dangerous jobs. They see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine. And all too often, that takes a toll leading to substance abuse, PTSD, and co-occurring mental health disorders. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists, helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888 991 9725 online at transformations treatment. center. Return conversation with Al Morito on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Al is a former Los Angeles Police Department police officer, and he's also a combat veteran, United States Marine Corps, Vietnam veteran, and he is the author of a book called L.A.'s Last Street Cop Surviving Hollywood Freaks, the Aryan Brotherhood, and the LAPD's Homicidal Vendetta Against Me. Before it we went to break out, we were talking about, and I've seen it, there are reports of it happening forever. And we've got reports and articles on our website, just go to letradishow.com, of crimes being downgraded. And this is something that comes from on high. People forget. And here's a little basic lesson in civics. Most police departments are run by the mayor. The mayor picks their police commissioner. The police commissioner promotes the staff that he wants, he or she wants, that are going to tell their, their line. And all the orders come from the mayor on down. It doesn't start a street-level cop and work its way up. It's still the other way around. And when crime gets too crazy, I'm not going to name cities right now, it is not uncommon for them to say Part one crimes, which are the violent felonies, and part two, part three, we we're downgrade them as much as we can from assault and robbery to just assault or to a theft. And little things like that, while they may not seem like a lot, when you've got a massive organized crime problem with gangs like L.A. had back then and still does and the numbers are being cooked, that's a real problem.
1: Well, it is indeed. Um, you know, shockingly, you know, after I was... Um I was, you know, fired. I was, they they, they got these two uh, alleged victims, one being a murderer that cut a kid in half. And when I pushed him against the wall when I was interviewing, I, th- there was no injury. It was just like what you see on TV. You know, you push a guy and you leave the room and then your partner is supposed to go, hey, you know, you better cooperate with us. Yeah. Uh, and then the, you know, the other situation is where I defended myself against this Shotgun wielding madman and and uh, so that was the department's two victims and they fired one of their hardest historically ever hardest working cops uh, because I blew the whistle on the corruption which is just you know to this day I I, I still can't get you know wrap my head around it I listen I love the Los Angeles Police Department but there are some bad players in an upper management, so my problem is not with the men and women that are putting their lives out, you know, on the line 24-7 for people they don't even know, and a lot of people, they don't even like them. The LAPD, uh, you know, the time that I was on the job, if if I ever seen somebody that was doing something wrong, I, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd roll them over in a second. I, I mean, I wouldn't tolerate it, so I I've never really understood this thing about this, you know the, uh, you know this uh, that you stick up for one another and uh, you know the, the silent code and all this kind of garbage. I, I've, never I've never seen, seen, seen either.
0: that. I, I don't know of anybody in any department that's ever. There's a there's a big line of distinction. I remember being a, a young police, and I'm sure you're going to relate to this. And when you're young and you're a rookie, you make stupid mistakes. You do stupid things. But I was told if you're going to make mistakes. Do them while you're doing your job. When you have good intentions, that's how you learn. If you do things that are corrupt, that are criminal, things like that, no one's going to stand for that. No one. So there's, though, I never saw a thin blue line or wall of silence where we looked the other way when people did bad stuff.
1: Well yeah you know unfortunately uh, you have you know members in the community that for some reason or another uh, you know have this this kind of hatred uh, for law enforcement and and funny is that those very people are the ones that call the police more than the rest of the community uh and you have you know, leaders uh, in in uh, in the city council and the mayor's office and, and the Congress and the Senate that somehow, you know, it's like their second job is to undermine law enforcement to the community. And, and I've never really, really understood that. It, it's just, uh, um, you know, like I said, not to, re, you know, to go over the whole thing, but I, if I had ever seen somebody that was doing something that I thought would, you know, would stain the uh, the the efforts of our brothers and sisters out there, you know, busting their butts for us, I, you know, I'd, I'd roll them over in a heartbeat. Yeah. So I, I've never really understood that.
0: I haven't either. And, and these politicians that do that, I, I'm of the mindset or the belief that I learned a long time ago that in order to get elected to office, you have to create an enemy for the vast majority of the voters. And then then you are the solution for that enemy or that threat. And when the, all these politicians and activists are so anti-police and they say the police department is causing all the problems in the community and everything else, none of them offers a solution. Saying, okay, if the police department's a problem and we get rid of all these cops, then what? None of them have an answer for the then what so it's all i I think it's a ploy that they use to to get elected that's the only reason they do it
1: well it's it's uh, job security and uh if they keep these uh, you know these people that we're talking about if they basically it's, when I say job security is that uh if they were to be uh, genuine with the public and, and and talk about what what law enforcement really does for the community i uh, you know, they wouldn't have a job anymore. It's right. just, you know, but it's just, yeah. I, you know, I just can't say enough about what's 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 going on today with our law enforcement. I, mean, you see what's happening in New York and some of the other places where you're getting the community that is disrespecting law enforcement. You know, to the degree that they're doing today, and then if the officers do anything, you know. They're done. They're yeah,
0: gone. You are. And that that comes from the, the, the top down. And I, I find it nauseating when I see some of the videos, for example, where they had the thing where they're throwing water on police and milk. And it made me sick to my stomach. We, we had a very basic philosophy. And that philosophy is we respected everyone until they changed the tone of the conversation. And then there was no backing down. So, to allow someone to assault you in any way, shape, or form, or any level, and then to back down was sacrilege. You did not do that. And the reason we did not allow that is because being a police in, in most cities, you're you're like in a fishbowl. When someone does that to you on a post, and you can be that post every day, and they'll, they'll see you five, six days a week, if someone sees you doing that, then they're more apt to increase the level of violence against you.
1: What? no you you you're entirely- correct you you hit the nail on the head to add insult to injury now you have this whole thing about these sanctuary cities that are embracing uh, uh, uh folks that you know are not supposed to be here illegal aliens and uh some of them have actually murdered uh you know americans uh, raped folks I, I'm not talking about the entire community but I what i'm saying is that too many of these people uh you know are getting a pass on this thing and uh now with the Los Angeles Police Department they changed their city charter where the police chief now is uh basically chosen by the mayor prior to that it used to be the city council so the mayor or the the, the chief of police and his his uh coppers were basically they didn't have to worry about you know being politicized but today that's the way it is, and uh, the basically the chief of police will throw his own people under the bus to placate the mayor and maintain his position, and it's just not a good thing today.
0: When you look back at history, there's a couple things that, that stand out about that. In Baltimore, in my case, years, like in the 1800s, control of the departments taken away from the city and given to the state, and now they has the city has limited control uh, it's because of abuse by the city government. Uh, we had the same thing happen in, in, in New York. We've had it all over the United States. Uh, this is not just an L.A. issue. This is a national issue. And by the way, it's still occurring. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So, we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET podcast network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by special guest Al Marino, former Los Angeles Police Department police officer, United States Marine Corps veteran, Vietnam veteran, and also the author of the book, LA's Last Street Cop, Surviving Hollywood Freaks, the Aryan Brotherhood, and the LAPD's Homicidal Vendetta Against Me. By the way, these vendettas, they do occur. We talked earlier about how real police and that don't brown nose, that don't toe the party line, they don't play the political game, often wind up having to deal with vendettas. Uh, and that's apparently what happened to you. Before we get into the part of your conversation, you mentioned earlier, you were fired basically on under word of a murderer, actually two murderers, and one was a member of the Aryan Brotherhood, both of them hardcore criminals both of them not altar boys and this isn't like you walked up and rolled up on someone on the street who's a hard-working person or in trouble and brutalized them they took the word of hardcore violent criminals against one of their own and you were a highly commended officer
1: oh that's correct uh you know i had mentioned that uh I, i'm not blowing my own horn but i mean i'm i'm my own advocate at this juncture nobody else is speaking for me, so i you know, I, I don't have a problem telling anybody. You know what I had done. Um, uh, I I had you know worked so incredibly hard. Once I got into our specialized unit, OCB Crash LAPD's first ever gang unit with forty guys in it, and uh, towards the uh, end of the of, of the of the first year, I, I was working so hard that I was actually leading the gang unit in in gun seizures, and no, those aren't radio calls. That's something from. Out there hunting the bad guys right. before they take human lives, and at uh, one there was one deployment period, which is our month it's a twenty eight day you know uh, string of days and uh, I got into this hot streak where thirteen days in a row, I arrested a gang member with a gun and on the thirteenth day, I arrested two separate gang members in one watch. Both armed with 45s, it got so incredible that my two supervisors, two of my four supervisors, called me in out of the out of the field, told my partner to wait outside, and told me, "Listen, Al, you are making us look great, but we're concerned about your safety because of this hot streak that you're in. Now we know that you know your stuff, but you've heard of Murphy's Law." And, and we'd like you to kind of take a break, come inside for a couple of DPs, cool off, because we're concerned about you. And of course it was voluntary and I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm working a a hot streak. Every time you take a gun off the street from a gang member, some human being is not going to be shot or killed. And I, you know, I, so I went back out and, and, and did what I did. Then you know we've already talked about the two situations that that gave the, the 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 department an opportunity to get rid of me because I had gone to the to the uh, bureau chief and the bureau chief was going to do this uh, what they call a you know an investigation and it, it just at the at the juncture I was told I knew that it was just basically not going to work out well because. Two of the two internal affairs investigators were overheard by one of their secretaries stating that we're going to fry Marino's. Now, that was at the beginning of the uh, internal affairs investigation into me pushing the gang member in the off-duty fight with the ex-con. And then two weeks later, I had a friend of mine that went to internal affairs and was working as one of the advocates, and he heard the advocate it was kind of like a prosecutor for the judge at a trial board, state that Marino is going to be fired regardless of what happens. So, you know, the fix was in. And, of course, you know, I complained about it, uh, and, uh, you know, nobody said anything. And, you know, that that was the end of that. I was toast. I was gone. Another extraordinary thing is that when the... Um, When the internal affairs, like we had spoken about a minute ago, had actually told the two investigators to their face that he was going to murder me, the the department, like I mentioned, you know, failed to do what they have a well-established protocol for a credible threat like that. And and it wasn't just like if these two uh, internal affairs investigators didn't do or make the notifications that they were supposed to make. There were a total of those two sergeants, There were a total of two lieutenants, four captains, a bureau commander, and the chief's office that were aware of that threat. And I have the documentation, uh, you know, from the trial board transcripts and the uh, internal affairs investigation that names these people. And with all of those folks involved, still, me and my family were not afforded the standard security protocol,
0: which is just horrifying.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's
0: horrifying. You you took so many efforts and so many years to become an L.A. police officer. It's obvious that you were driven to do this and that you felt a calling. And you were not going to give up. And that's admirable. And by the way, before I forget, thank you for your service in the police department. And thank you for your service in Vietnam. Both of those don't get the proper appreciation that they should, even to this day. It must have just been a horrifying letdown for you. And I can't think of the right words, Al, that when you were brought to the trial board, is what we called it in Baltimore, and you were terminated, you were fired. How does someone recover from that? How do the how do you pick yourself up and say, "Okay, I I'm going to go on to plan B." You
1: know, it like I said, you know, it took me 5 years to get on. They weren't hiring a lot of people of color when I got on the job. Uh, today that's not the issue. I mean, it's not that way today, but when I was getting on the job, they had a token amount of of Afro Americans and and Latins and one or two you know Asian kids on there, but it's it, it's totally different today. But the drive that 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 I had to get on the, the, the LAPD, you know, it started way back in the second grade. I remember when I was diagnosed with Lake Calvis perthes uh, at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And this doctor, I remember his name, Dr. Pierce, you know, he picks me up. I was a little guy, second grader, puts me on the examinating table, and then he looks right into my eyes and he goes, and what do you want to be, little man, when you grow up? And I just barked out, I want to be a policeman. <laughs> so uh, that, that was my goal from from the second grade. Uh, and uh, there's just, there's you know, thank God that we have Enough people, even still today, that still want to pursue that that admirable uh, and courageous career to protect the motherland, uh, you know, and 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 its citizens from you know from from the bad guys. And uh, it, it's just so when I you know when I did get fired, I mean I you talk about an honest, hardworking cop. I, they don't come any more hardworking, honest than myself. So. You know, once I was terminated, those first, in particular, the first five years, more so the first two years, I was, I moved back home because I lost everything, and so I had to move back home uh, into the, uh, into the, you know, barrio, which was, you know, it was awful. But the reason I principally did that is because I was afraid for the safety of my mom and my brothers and sisters. My dad had already died. And, and Jay, for the first two years, and this is a God's truth, I would sit out in front of the, uh, uh, right on the street, sit in my car, armed to the teeth with a forty four and a thirty eight, just scared to death that the Aryan Brotherhood or La Emma was going to come by and, and murder my family. And I had nightmares like that for, for, for 10, 15, 20 years. So, uh, it was just awful.
0: I'm sorry Uh, you had to go through that. Uh, Again, where can people get more information about your book and order it?
1: Well, you can go to, uh, there's a website, laststreetcop.com. You can also uh, get the book, um, L.A.'s Last Street Cop, on uh, on Amazon. It's probably the simplest way to get it.
0: Al, thanks so much for your service, and thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Very much appreciated.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Jay.
0: Check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click, like, and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. have got another great guest in your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.